that abuse is structural. It is not just a personality defect that uh, Stephen Crowder has. It is the expectations that are created by a fundamentalist worldview that has permeated. I mean, I think he may be a fundamentalist, but it, it goes beyond just practicing fundamentalists. It's adopted by the conservative mindset. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Habituation Room Podcast with yours truly, Francesca Fiorentini, chilling on another Tuesday. Hope you're good. Uh, we have such a good show. My God. Um, we have our first drag queen on the show. That's right. Uh, maybe a girl who's just an incredible um, activist, currently an L.A. City official, um, who, who's on the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council. Um, who's been on that since 2019, is just an incredible advocate and also is running for Congress, CA30, which is actually Adam Schiff's seat. Hmm. So very, very excited to have maybe on later in the show. But first, Sam Cedar of The Majority Report is also here joining us for the hour. We're going to talk about Joe Rogan and RFK Jr. spinning a bunch of anti-vax nonsense out into the universe and Spotify collecting a lot of cash on that. Um, we're also going to talk about Hunter Biden. Finally, we got him. We got him. He's guilty. Just not of the stuff that we want him to be guilty of. He's guilty of like tax stuff, which is boring. And I'm waiting to see more dick pics. So we're going to get into what uh, Hunter Biden finally, I mean, we haven't talked about Hunter Biden on this show at all, because why? You know, and I know a lot of us are wondering why, um, but let's let's do it. Let, let's get into it. Um, what was everything with Burisma? Um, how did he leverage his father being the vice president to get only the best rock? Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, we're going to play. This is this is very exciting and important. Apparently, uh, in a study, a former white nationalist uh, in a medical study of MDMA, a former white nationalist changed his views on being awful, meaning he's no longer racist. So we're going to ask if you could give a drug, a number of recreational drugs to any of the people we will present to you. Hang on, TBD. Um, which drug would you give to whom and why? So, uh, yeah, the power of MDMA. Uh, we're going to get into all of that and we can all swap drug stories. and It'll be great. Um, if you're here, make sure you're liking all the things, clicking all the buttons, sharing the stream, letting people know that you uh, watch this show. And if you are listening as a podcast, thank you so much for deciding not to be alone on your little, you know, like exercise moment of the day exercise moment are you planking right now i really hope you're not planking planking is so overrated it's so boring to plank honestly i cannot just go on a walk don't plank do some pilates don't plank i know there's planking and pilates but i hate it uh but thank you for pressing play and uh thank you for your five-star review on uh, itunes or spotify uh that really helps people discover the show so thanks so much in advance and of course there is more show it's not just this show, guys. There's a Friday show, too, for all the patrons to watch back and listen back. But free for everyone live, patreon.com slash room every Friday. It's the bonus, bish. Um, and I think this week, 
I think we're going to talk about the submarine. There is a missing submarine, y'all, that went. It's the beginning of the movie Titanic because it's a sub that went down to go look at Titanic remains and it's gone now. The Everyone's basically gone. Um, and guess how they were trying to navigate their way to the Titanic? Elon Musk technology. So it is perfect. He has indeed managed to kill people in a submarine like he wanted to back when he was trying to rescue the tie boys so uh tune into that on friday 1 p.m pacific 4 p.m eastern and of course you can listen and watch back by becoming a patron which you get a bunch of perks by becoming a patron 20 percent off merch and then of course the discounted deeply discounted it's like 24 dollars for the whole year of the american prospect free access to everything online um i write the back page usually I don't have my new, I don't have my new edition and it's annoying me. I don't know where it is. So I'm going to have to follow up. But anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for being patrons. And with that, uh, let's get into it. Let's talk. What are you bitching about? Okay. So uh, other than the fact that I am an anxious wreck as a new mom and cannot sleep, this is a little bit tied to that. Um, but I'm bitching about the fact that uh, the right has poison-pilled the entire conversation around women's rights and feminism. And I'm not just talking about reproductive rights. That's important, and it goes hand-in-hand hand, uh, with what I want to talk about. But they consistently talk about... Um, you know, the roles of women. And if only women were staying in the house. And if only women this and that. And if only we got rid of divorce. And if only all the ways that we could protect women slash, you know, entrap them in cages. And, you know, what's wrong with that? And just like back in the day when everything was great. And it's almost like, like if they can put women back like some sort of Indiana Jones crystal, you know, like, again, their dick's going to grow a couple inches, the hair on their head's going to grow back, uh, you know, and uh, their children will call them. No, none of that is true. The jobs are going to come back. Yeah, yeah. Jobs from China are going to fucking come back immediately if you put women back in the house. Oh, yeah. You you get rid of divorce. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Xi Jinping will crumble to his knees. America is going to be back. So not only is it that sort of ridiculous idea of the roles of women, the idea of femininity, of masculinity, of, you know, charging your junk on some sort of uh, Tesla station. Um, but the anti-feminist backlash has bred influencers uh, like this person who apparently is been, has been filling the gaps where Andrew Tate led off. Now, today, Andrew Tate was uh, charged with human trafficking in relation to his cam business. Um, so rape and human trafficking. So yay. And we all knew Andrew Tate, massive POS, but also huge following. Someone we have to think about. Someone I never wanted to think about. Someone I wanted to be completely gone, especially after Greta owned him online. It's like, how do you come back from Greta Thunberg owning you? I don't know. And yet he does. But here is this woman and uh, her name is Pearl Davis. She has 1.5 million followers on YouTube and her entire thing is being an anti-feminist creator. Oh my God, I'm an anti-feminist creator. And she is, you know, recently was on a massive podcast saying that she believes that women shouldn't be able to get divorced, 
even in abusive relationships. Um, she uh, is only 26 years old. She has also a massive following on TikTok and whatnot. She's basically filling this this void, this gap by becoming this anti-feminist influencer. And it what frustrates me, it's not just her. It's not just the fact that she exists. It's not just the fact that she's filling this disgusting niche. Um, it's not just the fact that anti-feminist rhetoric sells, even by someone who, if everything she wanted came true, she would not have the freedom at the age of 26 to even do what she does. She wouldn't keep the money from all of her YouTube videos that somehow haven't been demonetized. But if I say the word abortion, mine gets demonetized. Um, she, some some man would hold that money for her. Um, you know, she'd be strapped with however many kids and deprived of her her freedom. That's not what annoys me. What annoys me is that we can't have an honest conversation about how the feminist movement should even go further. How actually there are some legitimate grievances with a narrow-minded feminism that like needs to push the envelope. That, that we can even create space for some woman like this who's like, you know, remember when women were in the home and it was better and now you have to work and now you this and that. And they're all saying you can't have it all and women this. And it's like, actually, in large part, part of me is like, they aren't wrong given the amount of like, given the ways that late stage capitalist greed has squeezed mothers and women in this country while offering absolutely no support to parents, to anyone, universal pre-K, paid family leave and maternity leave, affordable health care, right? Medicaid for all, all pregnant women being able to qualify for Medicaid benefits. Or, hey, what about Medicare? All of the ways that this country could truly be designed to support mothers and women and the family as we all have been talking about, but the ways that like the feminist movement took us half of the way there, but we, it's a movement. We got to still keep pushing. We got to still keep going. I've even uttered the word, you know, wages for housework. A lot of people get mad at me if I said wages for housework, but hell yeah, let's go. It's a full-time job. It is a full-time job. I'm not just raising my own kid. I'm raising the, I'm shorn up the tax base for your retirement, bud. No, I'm I'm raising a community, right? I'm raising a person who's going to be part of society. So there, I guess what I'm saying is like, what annoys me is that we have to keep on pu pushing back these bad faith actors and arguing with them about the importance of freedom for women to be able to divorce, to be able to work, to be able, you know, all the freedom for choice. While at the same time, there really is no choice at this point. There is no choice on a whole range of reasons. There's no choice because it's expensive to have kids. There's no choice because you have to work. Who can who can make that choice? Oh my god. Trust me, every day I'm like, "You know what? If I married a millionaire, I would just be able to chill. I could chill and just, you know, write my jokes, stream." patreon.com/bituationroom is what I'm trying to tell y'all. Um Anyway, that's what I'm annoyed about. I'm annoyed that we don't have a front, uh, a, fem a pro-feminist front that can actually go further and um, be more holistic, be more intersectional, change the game, be anti-capitalist, um, and that isn't just content to, to you know, rest on um, 
an ideology that was, you know, developed in the 70s, important, the movement, but that that needs to push the envelope and go further. I hope I've been clear. Uh, and with that, let me bring in uh, my guest. Uh, you know him as the host of The Majority Report. He's also a mother of two. Please welcome Sam Cedar. Hello, Francesca. Yes, um, I have I have two children myself. Yeah. Doing my my duty in terms of social reproduction. Showing up that so. tax base. Mm-hmm. That's right. It was a good point, actually. They will be. Uh, my kids will be, hopefully, um, providing for my Social Security. My older kid will be, certainly. <laughs> and I hope I make it uh, long enough for my younger kid. What, whatever is left of the Social Security. I don't know when we get there. Well, actually, I mean, when when we get there, the the trust fund will, well, in my case, the trust fund may still be around a little bit. I don't, I don't have that long to go until I'm actually a uh, retirement age, but um, the trust fund won't be exhausted uh, before 2033, but then it will literally be if assuming that Congress does nothing, which I think is a wrong uh, assumption. I think they're going to shore, uh, shore it up, but it will be our kids um paying into social security which will be providing 75 to 80 percent of the benefits that are due us in our retirement and uh, that's the way the system was designed right uh, they they paid for it and then uh, their kids will be paying for their retirement yeah in addition to helping us with uh you know uh all of our it i mean uh, i gave my kid a, a flip phone and um it was uh, to watch him just go into like a, a just a native he's not he's not stopped by like you have to hit the thing four times to get to the letter you want he does it right away i miss those days i crushed it on texting on a flip phone i was so good back in the early 2000s walking around new york just like they did i was so so good um listening to 50 cent i'm just i'm you know protesting the rock war that was like my sweet spot of uh of flip phones but uh, Sam, I, we could talk about yeah. kids and this whole in this whole thing for a while, um, but I'm wondering what what are you bitching about today? What are you, what are you coming in with? It's not terribly dramatic, uh, different from what you were talking about in terms of maybe getting wages, uh, you know, for um, uh, you know, uh, for housework, doing work, yeah, housework. Or um, the thing that has been really uh, pissing me off. It's really a two parter, but it is. Um, one, the the idea that we're kicking uh, millions of people off of uh, Medicaid, uh, and really, I mean, by we, I mean like uh, red states in particular, but uh, moving out of like the COVID, um, we, we added something like, I think it was 20 million people to the roles of Medicaid over the course of, uh, of the pandemic mm -hmm. because nobody was getting kicked off. Right. Uh, of Medicaid. And uh, basically all the restrictions were, um, were relaxed. And, uh, and now we're allowing the states because, because the COVID restrictions have ended to uh, kick people off. And that's what's happening. We've had maybe a million, million uh, point five kicked off in the past two months. And the anticipation is uh, that, you know, we could be uh, kicking off anywhere from like four more million up to 20, uh, 24 million uh, kicked off the rolls. A lot of people, incidentally, too, who are getting kicked off actually are eligible, but don't realize it and, uh, you know, aren't filling out the paperwork. 
But between that and, and the thing that really drives me uh, nuts, maybe even more so, is during the pandemic, we cut child poverty by 40 to 40, I don't know, 47%, somewhere in there. Yeah. We, we did it in a year. We just, we just cut child poverty. And then we decided as a country, yeah, that was a fun experiment. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the way it was. And we did that by, you know, providing uh, $300 per child, um, uh, per household, per month. I know. Uh, I missed for it. For a year or two. And I really I mean, tried to get pregnant to get it. But yes, I missed it. Uh, no. I, and now we're deciding uh, that was enough. Um, go back to poverty, I mean, was, child. Go to work, in fact. We're going to lower the working age for you. It was, it was, you know, mansion and cinema really, uh, you know, who, who, who made sure that didn't happen in the, um, uh, in, in the, I guess the so-called IRA or whatever could have been built back better. But you think about how often that is mentioned on the nightly news or by democratic politicians or by anybody who supposedly cares. And it's, it, it, it it's, it's amazing to me. Yeah. Like we cut child poverty by nearly half almost overnight. Yeah. And then as a society, we're just like, okay, whatever. And let's just go back to where to like, you know, child poverty, it really doesn't get sort of more low hanging fruit than child. Po- like, are you for or against child poverty? Yeah. Like even the scummiest of the scummy uh, right wing conservatives would have to go like, well, yeah, no, I'm against child poverty. I mean, the and yet we as a society, we figured it out. It turns out you just give people money and then they're not poor anymore. Um, and then we decided, okay, whatever. And it's not even really, you know, the PR around it and the ability for the Biden administration to, you know, sort of sing their victories or, you know, name their victories and trot them out. Hey, trot out a kid with a full belly. Oh, isn't this great? Like that also went away. And I'm not sure if it's because they knew they were going to eventually rescind it or that they couldn't get through mansion and cinema to keep it going. And so they're too, you know, chicken shit really to like, like, right. They're they're They feel embarrassed that they was rolled back or, you know, or if it's just they're terrible on messaging. I remember, you know, like years and years ago, I think during the stimulus, you know, o- the Obama money and all the stimulus, right? All the, um, yeah, the stimulus money that was spent after the, you know, uh, the Great Recession. I remember there was like, you'd have to dig to find articles on like, where did this money go? Yeah. Which bridges did it build? Who did it help? And, you know, after I lived in Argentina, which I have to mention every single time, if you know me, uh, I lived in Argentina for many years. And it was interesting the way that the government would use, you know, sort of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting or for lack of better, you know, the, the public airwaves to sing like, hey, we just built a sewage system up in this random province and we did this and they, your tax dollars hard at work. Bye bye. You could call that propaganda. You could call that effective governance of actually telling Americans where their money right. went during the biggest crisis of our lifetimes. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the Biden administration probably, you know, didn't want to uh, tout it too much because it went away. Um, but, um, and, and they, they may have anticipated that part of the problem. I mean, part of the problem why it went away is probably because they didn't tout it as much when it was happening. Right. Uh, but, you know, we didn't have the data to see exactly how effective it was going to be. 
but the in many respects i blame uh the the media uh, uh too to a certain extent because i mean the the there we still you know there is still such a huge tendency with the with the corporate media to to revert back to its sort of old um to revert back to the mean and the idea that you know it is not brought up on a consistent basis gives you a sense of like who the you know what the interests are of like our our corporate uh news media yep. i mean and, and and as long as i'm bitching you know the whole inflation stuff too like it's so clear that it was such bullshit about being a function of the money that was put into the uh, economy as opposed to sort of like corporations um, uh, price gouging, you know, and there was also obviously logistics and I'm sure to a some, some extent and, and also a mismatch of supply and demand because people's habits changed. But uh, the main drivers were not, I mean, we put trillions of dollars into the economy in an incredibly short period of time and the inflation that we have is, as you can see, is cooling. That money hasn't gone magically a a away. Um, the inflation's cooling because logistics have returned. You know, it doesn't cost you twenty-two thousand dollars anymore for a shipping container. And uh, you know, uh, uh, corporations are starting to get the message that people are sick of the the price hikes. And right. so, uh, but okay, that's it. no, no, I no, mean, it's I, good. And I, it, I bitched about too many things. But yeah, well, the last thing I'll say about the Medicaid stuff is, uh, I did try to cover. Uh, Medicaid. I mean, I did cover it on my one MSNBC special about the lack of expansion. I mean, the lack of Medicaid expansion in all these red states that are now. Yeah. I mean, you have to get a you have to get a waiver from the government to not expand Medicaid and help hundreds of thousands of people in your state, millions of people, and every single day. That's. I mean, that's what red states are doing, and the Biden administration and the corporate media. They don't talk about that. They're not talking about how bad faith these you know governors are when it comes to their own their own population their own civilians uh, their own voters um in terms of like they could be helping them every single day and, and these are the folks who are trying to force birth on moms or on women across the country and they're like oh we'll have some more medicaid we'll, we'll dole out some medicaid oh yeah how's that medicaid going because there's 90 percent yeah. of it could be covered right now by the federal government you just don't expand it because it was called Obamacare for a little bit of time. Anyway, yeah, it's a good thing to bitch about all this stuff. Uh, we 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 could have had a good country, you know. It's been real. Off to Spain. Goodbye. Yeah, there you go. Are you going to Spain? Yeah, you know, eventually. Well, I just have to. I have to trick my whole family, and then I'll go. Uh, do you have a citizenship? I have. I do have Italian citizenship, so I ergo have EU citizenship. So. Vamos. Vamos. All right. This is the week where, guys. Hunter Biden. It's time we talk about Hunter. It truly is time uh, because today he played. Yeah, we haven't heard enough about Hunter Biden. I always feel like I, I feel that. I know what his penis looks like. I mean, if there's any if there's one thing that we need is those. I haven't even Googled. I don't know. I've refrained from doing that. Let me just intro this story because Hunter Biden pled guilty to two misdemeanors, tax misdemeanors, tax misdemeanors, and just struck a deal with federal prosecutors um, around a felony gun charge. And that was because he didn't on his application to get said gun, didn't admit that he does illicit drugs and 
had done drugs, which I think you're you're supposed to be honest on those pieces of paper, like I'm sure every gun owner in this country is. Uh, so the Justice Department has agreed to uh, a sentence of probation for two counts of failing to pay taxes in a timely manner for 2017-2018, and he owed at least $100,000 each of those years. Dun, dun, dun! Is that is that salacious enough? Is that good enough you, for the right? I, I actually have a, I think I have a sound <laughs> yep. effect. That, uh, Can we hear it? Sure. Go ahead. Say that again. And owed at least $100,000 each year. That? Yeah, no, that's perfect. I mean, I'm enthralled. I've also fell asleep halfway describing what these charges were, but yeah. I'm enthralled. Um, so I just decided it was time to like dig into the Hunter Biden BS. And because Congress is doing that uh, at this point, and they have been since 2020, really. And you've talked about it on your show because it's 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 important to know what is there and what isn't there right. and how the information was gleaned and how it wasn't gleaned. But I just want to um, share sort of the level that we're at when it comes to the discussion. And then we can sort of give a backstory um, as to how we got here. But this is Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andy Biggs, uh, both of whom Andy Biggs is still in Congress, correct? I, I don't even know how oh, yeah. these insurrectionists openly plotting with the Jan Sixers, still in Congress. Uh, they're on Maria Bartiromo. Again, how is she still on the air after everything? Um, and we can pause it whenever. It's kind of a long clip, but I wanted to share. This is what they're arguing for. Um, they are mad that Christopher Ray um, is apparently, in their words, concealing information. They have to, uh, they think he, that Biden, Joe Biden should be impeached based on Hunter Biden's crimes that they're sure exist, but they don't quite have the evidence for. So let's take a look. This is the biggest political scandal in the history of the country. You've got a vice president mm -hmm. conducting illegal uh, activity, and yeah. then you have the the DOJ protecting him. Well, of course, it is the biggest political scandal. Any of us, Sam, it's the biggest political scandal in history. Just want to well, underscore you that. know what? He's the president is conducting illegal activity. How much more? I mean, <laughs> what more do you need? He's conducting illegal activity. Absolutely, uh, I think that's almost definitionally. Illegal. Driving is different. So, Doing, I mean, committing is different. But when you conduct, you know, it's a whole orchestra. Well, the beauty is they don't. They not. It's like one of those situations where, like, not only have they not found the weapon, they haven't found the crime yet. <laughs> oh, they're oh, but they're searching. Like we we know he's doing something, and we know it's illegal. We just don't know the specifics. Yes. Well, I, they might get to it. Maria has questions have ever seen. So that's why I want to get back to these tapes for a moment, because, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you just said that there are 15 recordings of Hunter mm -hmm. Biden and two of Joe Biden. Uh, Andy Biggs, look, obviously we need evidence. We've been talking about this for a long time. So far, the evidence has been bank records. Where are these tapes? Well, it, we don't know. The, the oligarch kept the takes, tapes for his own protection. Sam, the oligarch kept the tapes for his own protection. So this is well, all in reference to apparently the skiff that they were allowed into that 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 No, no, no. Th this okay, is not yes. part of the skiff. I thought this was part of the 17 well, tapes they keep going on and on about. Here's the thing about the tapes. Tell me. 
and Grassley has said this um, uh, publicly. It's it's Grassley and Com uh, Comer, who is the uh, head of the House um, uh, Oversight Committee. And there is a document that the FBI has. It's like Form 1023 or something like that. And that is what they fill out when anybody comes in and says, I have an accusation. They write it out in a Form 1023. On this form and the 1023, which incidentally the FBI has investigated and does not find uh, the accusation credible, on this form, it says that this person who, who submitted the accusation talked to another person who was talking to a, uh, an oligarch who was, uh, people believe, is the head of Burisma. Mm. Head of Burisma said that he had 17 tapes, which, as you know, all CEOs, like when you're talking to somebody, I have tapes. Really? How many? Well, 15 of this and two of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You, you sort them. Like, it's a little bit of much. It's a, it's a big detail. There's like, swear words on like three out of the 17 and then extreme nudity or discussions of nudity and violence on 10 of the seven. Yeah, no, we, we categorize. But it's good to Nixon have a number, counted how many tapes. times he said anti-Semitic slurs like on his own tapes. But the point is, is that Grassley himself has said, we don't know if the tapes even exist. We just know that the tapes were referenced in an accusation, a, a hearsay accusation. On this 1023. File, yes. And and so uh, and that the FBI is found not to be. So we don't they've never heard the tapes. They don't know what's on the tapes. They aren't even sure if they exist, but they do know the number of tapes <laughs> that may or may not exist. So a guy said a guy has tapes. They know, they heard that a guy said a guy had tapes. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. The reason he did, and he said it in, the, in, in his 1023 statements that he was giving, he said, I'm doing this so that it'll take 10 years to link me to Joe Biden and he's doing it for his own protection. Wow. So he's playing the long game because this this person, this oligarch knew Joe Biden would be president, right? Not not in 20, 2016, but in 2020. Is that what I'm hearing? We're playing like the ultimate oligarch. Correct. Oh, so smart. Correct, so smart. Of course. And uh, to be clear, um, Andy Biggs is, is sort of like hedging here. He's saying that the guy said it in the 1023. No. The guy did not say it in the 1023. Uh, in fact, it was someone else who heard someone else re relay the telling of it in the 1023. Whatever, tomato, tomato, where are the tapes? And don't forget that he also said he felt coerced. So he is, he's, got the, he's got the evidence. He's just been loathed and been afraid to uh, disclose those to us because the um, I, I'm just telling you, there's this some really not bad true. guys, no, no, um, not just in the U.S., but uh, in other areas of the in the world that would like to get their hands on these tapes and uh, the oligarch himself. Probably he does well, not. Oh, first off, he doesn't. First off, he doesn't know that. And secondly, this has in junior high, there was always a situation where you'd be like, do you have a girlfriend? I do. She's in uh, France or Canada. And that's why she's never around. Uh, but yes, she is his girlfriend and we have actually gotten to third base. Yeah. I mean, not, not physically, not in the but, same I mean, place, but no, virtually. We have, it's just that you've never met her cause she's in France right now. Can we, so. can I talk to her on the phone?
Uh, she doesn't feel comfortable talking on the phone to people that she doesn't know. Does she not speak Only... English or? Well, Do you speak French, uh, by the way? Un petit peu. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. No, that's that's tight. No, the definitely answer, third base. Wow. Right. All right. You still can't come to my birthday party. But uh, quite, so quite. I don't see how this could be clearer than a bad guy wants to do things uh, to, you know, get get the tapes. So the oligarch is afraid. I mean, that's really specific. But anyway, continue to cast doubt. Here we go. On. Marjorie, if, if this is all true, mm -hmm. why hasn't yeah. Joe Biden been impeached? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you right now, Maria, that's where I'm at. I think impeachment is fully in order. The American people agree with impeachment. Every single poll I see over half the country believes Joe Biden has committed crimes while he's uh, held office. Impeachment is our tool to fire people that are corrupt, that are criminals, and that are doing things wrong while they hold public office. I'm okay, okay, okay. It's a little bit of a fact check, though. He's currently not the vice president though so if you want to impeach him for crimes committed while he was can we do that now i'm, I'm of course i'm pretty sure you can impeach uh, impeachment is a political process you can impeach uh, the president for any reason at any time and i would for one would encourage marjorie taylor green to force uh, mccarthy's hand to impeach and do Joe Biden. impeachment well a one hundred percent they should do this now it's going to go to the senate and it will not uh i don't even think it would pass the house to be honest with you in fact i don't think kevin mccarthy would ever do an impeachment uh to be honest with you because part of the reason is there's no evidence right. of the unspecified i let me see what it is illegal conduct yeah the conducting the conducting of illegal things but that that it was joe biden conducting his son to, okay, so I want to get to this. Let's play this out a little bit and then we'll get to the rest. I'm all for impeachment. I don't know why our conference hasn't moved there yet because the American people uh, are. Congress? And as far as, as evidence, we have evidence. We have bank records, tons of them that show the Biden family, Hunter, uh, all kinds of family member, members, even grandchildren being paid millions and millions of dollars from all these foreign countries that we know they have no business to prove that they're producing a product or a service to be making all this money. Hunter Biden is a crackhead. His evidence that we have on him showing all of his prostitutes uh, coming from Ukraine, coming from Russia, um, this shows that this man was only purely profiting by his, Hunter, by his father's powerful positions. Joe Biden absolutely should be impeached. But I got to tell you, Maria, so should Christopher Wray. Christopher Ray is no dummy. He, he has quite a law career. He comes from a, a very uh, respected firm, King and Spalding, uh, here in Georgia. This is a man that knows exactly what he's doing, and he's using the power of the FBI director's position to protect and hide the crimes from the American people. These are unclassified forms. Everyone should be outraged. I'm demanding impeachment. Um, I'm with the American people, and it, it doesn't bother me that the conference is not there yet. I think it's the right thing to do. Okay, so uh, she's mad. She wants Christopher Reagan too, because uh, he's got she thinks he's got stuff that is classified that should be declassified. He's not releasing the 1023. Right. So she's now, mad. Of course. Yeah. Now, of course, the idea that you're just going to release any accusation that someone lodges with the FBI and the FBI is going to release all that material and amplify it 
seems somewhat problematic, but I'll tell you what, if, if that becomes the standard, um, I suggest that everyone start to um, send some uh, send some accusations Let's do these, to the file FBI these 1023s. File those 1023s and let's uh, let's 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 air it all out. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's it, no, it's impressive. It is. There's no crime so far. There's only uh, the fact that and 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 I will I will be the I don't know if I'm the first one. But I will be um, I'll stand right in line to say there is no doubt in my mind that. Almost every job that Hunter Biden has had uh, in the past 15 years has been uh, a function exclusively of who his dad was now. Um, yeah, I, I but there's nothing necessarily illegal about that, especially given that like Burisma no, hasn't it's called America. Yes. And Burisma hasn't like built a stadium in you know dc or something like there's no burisma like uh yeah burisma.com arena or something like the kickbacks are invisible and if there was a deal like is again it was there like a pipeline like directly to joe biden's house he got some natural gas on tap he got a cheap discount like what was it it's not that is there's no evidence that there was any kind of that he was actually successful at leveraging his position anyway, which, by the way, he was the head of legal affairs for Burisma. Um, and he in his book, this is Hunter's book. This is back. This NBC reported last year. He wrote in his book that few of his business de details deals brought tangible results. He said he wasn't desperate before he landed a position on the board of the Ukrainian gas company in 2014. But the money was helpful and that it came at a fortuitous time. He said it didn't mean that. It said he said it meant he didn't have to work so hard to find clients. The most time consuming part of my work, drilling 20, 20 dry wells to finally hit pay dirt and that it led him to spend more time with his dying brother, Bo. It also led him to spend a lot of that money on what I think the right is truly jealous of, which is drugs and prostitutes and whatnot, sex workers and such. Um, so he even says that he was aware that his name is a commodity, but it, he was qualified for that job. He said that nowhere in the world that isn't. Uh, that isn't part of his father's sphere of influence, but that no one at Burisma ever hinted at wanting me to influence the administration. So that's what he says. That's according to him. He also says he burned a lot of money and wasted it because he was an addict at the time. And like that there was some shady dealings with the company was bribing other folks. I think it was before he got there. His legal advice with they, was that they should stop bribing people. So he like gave that advice. But again, there's no evidence that anything else happened. He was just advising a sort of corrupt company, like a sort of, like a company that had shade, some shady dealings. But none of that the, showered the Bidens with anything. The um, well, the uh, the the ostensible um, scandal is that Burisma paid um, uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden money to get the um, the this guy Shokin, who was the um, essentially like the attorney general, mm -hmm. if you will, of uh, Ukraine to get off of their backs. Um, he was appointed, I think it was like in 2015. To get off Burisma's back of like investigating them. Yes. The and and Joe Biden was on record 
because it was U.S. policy as well as EU policy to get Shokin out because he was corrupt. Mm -hmm. The problem with the accusation that Biden was trying to get Shokin fired because he was investigating Burisma is that Shokin was not investigating Burisma. In fact, one of the things that uh, was cited as to why he was a corrupt and ineffective, uh, essentially, attorney general, I don't know what they called it in right, Ukraine, right. is that he was not investigating Burisma. They wanted him right. to investigate Burisma because there was all sorts of like of, of bribery and stuff going on. And so the fundamental premise is the timeline is wrong. Yeah. Uh, they didn't start investigating uh, uh, Burisma until Shokin was gone from that office. And so, uh, but the, I, I, the, the, the way that all of this information got dug up or supposedly generated was when Rudy Giuliani went to, uh, on his fishing expedition to Italy, incidentally, mm. um, to work with, the with Lev Parnas. Oh, and um, and what a, they, what a trip didn't... that must have been, Sam, just to fly on the wall or fly on the gondola of the Lev Parnas, Rudy Giuliani, Italy trip. Parnas is really has talked about it quite a bit. And he <laughs> said uh, um, uh, Giuliani was pissed when there was no information that they had been bribing uh, Biden. So he's tried to generate some that uh, those charges, actually, Bill Barr assigned to John Durham as part of his investigation. Ah, uh, yes. But John Durham in his final report never even mentioned it because all of it was BS. It never went anywhere. And at that time, Grassley also looked into those uh, things. And that was, uh, uh, so- And I believe this, this is, is that this, this investigation here from the Senate Finance and Homeland Security Committees, chaired by Grassley of Iowa and Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, this was back in 2020, issued their first report yep. on Biden's business dealings. The 87-page report said Biden had, quote, cashed in on his name, but Johnson said in an interview before its release of the report included no massive smoking guns. There you go. So they're still looking, though. It worked for Benghazi. The truth is out there. Uh, keep the faith. Uh, as we move on to our second segment, um, whew, there's a lot to cover. But uh, this was the week where um, Democratic presidential candidate RFK Jr., um, noted environmental uh, lawyer, uh, also anti-vaxxer, uh, graced the Joe Rogan experience with his presence. Um, where he took the time to spout a number of lies about vaccines and whatnot, um, and especially uh, sort of played into the whole mystery of his name um, being played into the idea that his uh, uncle was murdered um, by the CIA, I believe he said. But anyway, here is here's a little snippet of that. Here, here's just like two great minds sparring about vaccines on the biggest podcast, perhaps, in the country how the system actually works to go against people that are dissenters. I have no questions because I was in the middle of it. I saw it. I saw it happen. I saw the CNN thing where they made my face yellow and said I was taking <laughs> horse medication, which is that the most – to say that and repeat that over and over again is such a clear indication that they conspired. It's such a – because it's, it's uniform. It's horse dewormer. Uniform. 
a medication that's used far more often on human beings. It's been prescribed to for billions. Yeah, it's insane. And the uh, fact and that won, and won the Nobel Prize for for efficacy in humans. Yeah, in humans. Yeah, it was wild. It was just but wild. They, had, they had to do it. They had to discredit ivermectin because you know why? Because there's a federal law. The federal law, the emergency use authorization statute, says that you cannot issue you cannot issue an emergency use authorization to a vaccine if there is an existing medication that has been approved for any purpose that ha that is demonstrated effective against the target illness. So they had to destroy ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and discredit it, and they had to tell everybody it's not effective because if they had acknowledged that it's effective in anybody, the whole $200 billion vaccine enterprise would have collapsed. Yeah, you know, we're not allowed to fight diseases if there's already a vaccine for it, um, right? Like, that's the rule, that no anyone who is, you know, has polio is not allowed to actually be administered any working medicine for it. And you can't talk about that because then it would discredit the polio vaccine. Sam, right? Well, I mean, what what Bobby is saying is true in terms of the policies, except for the fact that ivermectin and hydro, uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine are found to be completely ineffective in treating uh, in treating COVID. Well, not if you want to shit your, right, not COVID, but if you do want to just shit out everything you ate and sort of keep a slim figure, um, I hear ivermectin works quite well. It works great for that. But like he said, the target, uh, uh, the, the target, um, the target uh, disease or virus or whatnot. And, and, and recall also, to be clear, <clears throat> Like um, this, it was the Trump administration that had the ability to uh, to dispense with ivermectin and hydrochloroquine uh, like months. <clears throat> we did not have the vaccine until uh, late November, even close till late November of 2020. Um, there was hundreds of thousands of people who died in between. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There was no vaccine at that point. There was no um, there was no uh, uh, drug profits at that point. There was no they had already gotten the money. They could have developed it. Uh, the ivermectin could have uh, functioned. Um, the, we know that Johnson and Johnson, essentially, the U.S. government stopped uh, um, ordering more and more from those. We know that they were able to shut those down when they were problematic. Um, the 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 theory that uh, Kennedy is espousing is not um, is, is not accurate. I, I should say also just for for full disclosure, um, Bobby and I worked together for many years uh, doing a radio show. Um, I did I not know have, that. Yes, and I have a you know a, a sort of a personal relationship with him. I mean, we don't we didn't we didn't hang out uh, per se, but we. Uh, certainly we're friendly, uh, like we we have texted um, and, uh, you know, I was aware years ago of his um, of his uh, what I would consider an anti-vax uh, perspective, because in particular, because his primary theory of what was problematic with uh, childhood vaccines, that there was the Marisol in these vaccines and it was causing was the cause of um, the increase in diagnoses of autism uh, was a function of the thimerosal, 
when the thimerosal was taken out of the vaccines mm -hmm. and three or four years, that was back in 2001, we would have seen a drop in autism rates in 2004, 2005, 2006. We did not. And he, in fact, he had written a piece about the Marisol that was pulled by uh, Rolling Stone and Salon back in 2005, I think it was. Uh, he had uh, published it earlier, but it was actually literally pulled because it was considered such disinformation. Um, and he just sort of pivoted to, well, they didn't really take out the thimerosal or whatnot. I mean, they said they there did. are reasons why the mercury in thimerosal is considered not as, uh, in any way as, as much of a neurotoxin as like the mercury we might, you know, get in the air from burning, uh, stuff, but. Yeah, no, uh, just on that really quickly, because this is the vice article that Joe Rogan, it triggered him wanting, you know, RFK to debate an actual, like, you know, vaccine scientist, um online if you've been following but kennedy again on rogan in this very long conversation talked about mercury in vaccines and conflated ethyl mercury which is considered hazardous to human health and methyl mercury which is considered dangerous even in uh small doses so not considered so meaning like stuff that's in like fish and whatnot versus actual like if you eat ingested that will be poisonous to you um so yeah no he he, we talked about RFK Jr. on this show with our friends over at Conspirituality and sort of tracking the decline, descent into this anti-vax world that is now incredibly, um, I mean, that's on fire and only made worse by, I think, a medical system that is prohibitive for a lot of folks and um, uh, has led to a lot of eyebrows being raised, obviously, from all people um, and the amount of profit that is being made in farm, big pharma or in the private insurance industry is terrifying and awful um, at, at our expense. So it, it is a perfect, and Naomi Klein wrote an excellent piece about this, a perfect um, storm for someone like RFK to rise. And she wrote, you know, basically we should not ignore him. We ignore RFK Jr. Uh, at our own peril. He's landed yep. a, a, an endorsement from Jack Dorsey. He has been fundraising in the Bay Area. According to a CNN poll in May, support for Kennedy was at 20% among res respondents who identified as Democratic or, or Democratic-leaning. Um, he benefits from all the... The, all of that swirling narrative energy merely by showing up um, because he sort of played into the QAnon stuff. He's openly begun to support the claim that CIA was behind the murder of his uncle and father, something he says he came to only around five or six years ago or whenever you all started talking about it. Um, and basically, she goes into the fact that, like, he says all the right things in terms of climate change, in terms of extinction, in terms of poison water wells, but that he doesn't actually believe that we should have tougher regulations, you know, uh, actual like penalties for corporations that do pollute and contaminate um, to be climate ready or anything like that. He's just using this populist rhetoric. Um, so and she even says that that he's tapping into, a, as she says, a wellspring of real pain and outrage, though, because. Um, a great many voters are hurting and angry about powerful corporations controlling their democracy, profiting off of disease and poverty, endless wars draining national coffers, maiming their kids, about stagnating wages and soaring costs. This is the world inflamed on every level that the two-party duopoly has knowingly created. She then goes ahead and debunks that and sort of we debunk that. But what do you make of it, Sam, as someone who knows him and sees the sort of apple that he's biting off of? And what the hell? I mean, and what is his end game here? I, I you know, um, I, 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 I'm not 
I'm not sure of of any of that. Like we we had a couple of exchanges over the years about the vaccines. Some uh, I think one was on uh, on the radio. We did a show Ring of Fire uh, radio together. Um, and then you know somewhere around 2013, uh, I think uh, or 14, he left the show, and and I was doing it solo. Uh, we had been doing it with Mike Papantonio. Um, I don't. I don't have insight in, into why I, I, I suspect he believes what he says, uh, frankly. Um, I, I, I don't really have any hard uh, theories as to as to why he's so open to such things. I can I can speculate. But um, but um, I think that like the um, the 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 thing from a leftist perspective mm-hmm. is, and this is what I I, I have noticed, is that it, and, and he is sort of like backing off a little bit on his climate change uh, stuff, which is weird. He has been running much more as a libertarian. If you believe, and and I do believe, and 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 he also, I should be clear, he's also a tort lawyer, and I have spent a lot of time in that world because right. uh, of Pap Antonio and going to a tort convention twice a year, and. Um, and if you believe, like I do, and I think he seems to, that the profit motive will allow uh, a company that has developed a product that isn't necessarily safe to uh, disseminate it and ignore that, I don't think they set out to, to, to develop something that's not safe. But I do think that dynamic happens because of the profit motive. The obvious thing for you to recommend if you're going to be president or in any position to influence policy or you have a platform is to say, we need to take the profit motive out of this exchange. This transaction cannot, we need to have the U S government produce more medications, more drugs. We don't need to, uh, we can, we can contract maybe uh, a Pfizer to develop the, the, we can use their facilities, but we as a U.S. government, should develop it and keep the profits on this. Right. Um, if there's any, you know, I mean, obviously the government wouldn't do it with profits, but the point is he won't suggest nationalization of this apparatus. He won't suggest a, a, a an expanded role of government to produce this thing. We already have the capacity to do it. The VA produces a lot of uh, generic drugs as it is now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we should be in the business of, uh, California is planning to do uh, development of, uh, of insulin. Right. We can do this. But he doesn't recommend these things. And I think that's why, you know, people should be particularly suspicious about him running uh, as a supposed progressive or whatever he wants to uh, refer to himself. What about I don't understand in terms of an end game, like this guy's doing a lot of right wing media. Yeah, we just and and I was saying this over the past couple of days. And then Steve Bannon today had yesterday had a very weird uh, clip where he was talking about, you know, and and. It, it is, I think, public record that 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 Bobby has met with Bannon, has met with Roger Stone, yes. was convinced to enter the race because of John Zogby, a right wing uh, pollster, showed him good numbers. I I don't know what uh, Kennedy's um, uh, end game is because he's not going to win the Democratic uh, nomination. But I can tell you that like Bannon seems to be, you know, I, I'm sure they were interested in some chaos on the Democratic side, but. Uh, Bannon was talking as if maybe uh, there needs to be a coalition between uh, Trump and Kennedy in the general election. Like that wouldn't surprise me based upon everything I've seen so far. I think it'd be a good choice. I mean, sorry, Marjorie, uh, but it ain't going to be you. Um, eh, Sorry, Nikki. I think that, I mean, both Roger Stone and Steve Bannon have said, wow, what a ticket. 
Trump RFK Jr. I mean, obviously, like red meat for the QAnon base, but red meat for all the like anti-vax, even like weird wellness people, the people who are like responding to him saying the right things. But again, as you're saying, definitely more of a libertarian than any kind of uh, yeah, social democrat or progressive or anything. So, yeah, I mean, and, and let's be clear, mm-hmm. I can tell you that there uh, there is no doubt in my mind that. In the homes of 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 older black folk living in places like Philadelphia or Milwaukee or in uh, in Detroit, you will find pictures of Bobby Kennedy Sr. of uh, RFK hanging in those homes. And, um, you know, you're you're talking between those three states in 2020, 40,000, 50,000 votes was the difference in the election 70,000 maybe it was over the course of those three or four states i mean uh the i don't know if kennedy would do it uh but if i was donald trump i could think of uh, of, of a lot stupider things to do uh, than pick him as a vice president after he gets maybe let's say 15 20% 10% uh in the i mean you don't need much right in the democratic uh, election that's fucking terrifying (laughs) it's terrifying the the final thing i'm gonna say is it's where he was speaking my language is they have a moment where they uh rogan i just have to play this one little thing and then we can move on so Uh, what do you think wi-fi is doing to us since it's everywhere and since everyone's experiencing including you what do you think it's doing to us? i think it degrades your mitochondria it uh and it you know opens your blood brain barrier do you, do you see anything online of how it could open up your blood-brain barrier? I don't know about how, but I... That it does? Found, I mean, I don't. I found an article. I was trying to find the validity of it, but it has a state. So while they work on the validity of the article, but I, I don't want my mother... There's an article on the internet. It must be real. I mean, seriously. I, I Look, you could Google anything and, and be right. Um, I don't want my mitochondria degraded or my blood barrier which I didn't even know I had a blood barrier, but it sounds important. Uh, I don't want that degraded, but I'm someone who's totally like, I don't know. We got a lot of like Wi-Fi. I'm not a, I'm not a 5G or I love 5G, but I'm like, you know, there's a lot of Wi-Fi. It hasn't been fully studied. Who knows? You know, I'm saying if you take a little mouse, you put a lot of, you give them the mouse, like a bunch of smartphones and you, you, you put a mouse on TikTok, Sam. What I'm going to say is, its mitochondria will be so decimated. Uh, but this is the thing. It's like tapping into a con- actual concern that I think a lot of people have that like, yeah, the amount of like Wi-Fi, 5G, et cetera, like maybe that's not good for us in the long term. And it completely, again, the right owns it. I started this whole show by talking about how like the right owns any criticism of the feminist movement, like the right owns any criticism of all of these things that we like, you know, uh, we we talk about, you know, like a, anything to do with Wi-Fi, anything like so it's just it make it it makes us retreat into these ridiculous camps. Now I'm like defending Wi-Fi, you know? Well, I mean, look, there's it's it's possible that uh, Wi-Fi and cell, um, uh, you know, phones are, you know, have a negative uh, impact. There's no research that um, there's not a lot of research that's done, frankly, about it. Uh, and and here's the thing. I don't I'm not worried if half the people who listen to that show decide like I'm getting rid of my Wi-Fi, I'm going to throw away. It'll my be cell great phone. for them. I think there actually there would probably be a real benefit to them. 
But when you start talking about public health policy in terms of vaccines and you start talking about medications, you're talking about people dying. Yeah. And you're talking about not only people dying uh, over the course of COVID, but also we are so screwed. If there is a, another pandemic that, um, that, that, that hits this uh, society or this world, I should say, within the next like 50 years, we're so screwed. Yeah. I, I can't even believe it. And, 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 and if it, if it's more lethal, we're really, I mean, it's going to be a disaster because of this. stuff. Absolutely. I mean, the last thing I'm just going to say is that this vice article actually asked motherboard got, uh, try to get a statement from Spotify, got a spokesperson, you know, given that they were basically casting a lot of doubt and sharing a lot of misinformation about the vaccine they insisted that Rogan and Kennedy had not broken their uh, rules, uh, their terms of service, since while the two suggested during their conversation that COVID vaccines are ineffective and are injuring and killing large numbers of people, they did not explicitly say that they were designed to do so. Instead, they spent a lot of time ruminating about how young people are suddenly dropping dead uh, and a clear nod, but blah, 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 blah. Basically, they did everything but say it was by design. Right. So that episode can stay up. It's all good. No worries. Spotify's got a lot of investment, $200 million they've invested in that show. They want their returns. This is corporations doing exactly what Bobby Kennedy says the drug companies are doing. Right. They don't care what product they're putting out or who gets harmed by it because of profits. Sam, it's been so real. And I, before you go, it's been a while since you've been on. And in that time, you have fully destroyed Mr. Stephen Crowder's entire life. Um, and <laughs> thank you. I just, I appreciate you're, you're welcome. Well, I mean, I just, I mean, kudos. And do you feel guilty? I mean, has he like, how has it felt for you to sort of like baby, because you surprised him during a, a podcast and he said, Oh shit, it's Sam Cedar. Then his marriage fell apart. Then he got chest surgery. Unclear the timeline. I know I got wrong there, but like, uh, the timeline's correct, actually. It actually went, uh, surprised him, got chest, uh, surgery. Uh, chest surgery and the marriage uh, falling apart almost simultaneously. Now, is because it because he's noticed he your massive scheduled, pecs on that show? He scheduled the chest surgery when he knew his uh, wife was giving birth to their twins. Absolutely insane. I just, I feel like, again, starting off talking about toxic masculinity, women in the home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That video footage of him on his ring camera berating his eight-month pregnant wife i feel like that's the and scene for this entire line of right-wing thinking to the point where and i know you talked about it on your show even candace owens said this is disgusting and no one should treat a woman like that but that is the exact ideology that they all lift up in public and oh lo and behold this is how they behave in private i don't know did that how point, did that point hit to me you? the non-fundamentalist conservative ideology held by a person who could actually say the words, do your wifely duty. <laughs> Honestly, like, and I'm talking like in this century, no, 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 the last two centuries. Yeah. I mean, that is like that. The thing is, is that abuse is structural. It is not just a personality defect that uh, Steven Crowder has. It is, the expectations that are created by a fundamentalist worldview that has permeated. I mean, I think he may be a fundamentalist, but it, it goes beyond just 
practicing fundamentalists, it's adopted by the conservative mindset, the hierarchies, yeah. the the uh, the 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 specifics about gender, all of these things. But also the lack of uh, respect. Like there's, you know, like um, have you heard of you've heard of machismo, but have you heard of like Marianismo, which is a little bit of like the opposite. It's like lifting up women on this sort of like pedestal. Um, as if they're like protected and holy and sacred and in sort of a lot of Latin America, there is that like machismo sort of enacts itself or it manifests itself through that. There's none of that on the right. Like for as much as they think that like women are fragile or precious or, you know, are, or their brains are too small to do things like, you know, be in the workforce. It's like the way he's treating his supposed like precious wife who needs to do wifely duties is utter shit. Yep. Yep. Um, it, it, it was, it was, uh, gross to see. I'm glad that she got, got out. out of a bad situation. Um, oh in God. the end, it'll be better for her kids too. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, keep on your war path of destruction, Sam. And thank you for gracing us with your presence. You're wonderful. Always a pleasure. We'll see you next Always time. Hopefully. Okay. Take care. And everybody, thank you so much for sticking with us. Thanks for all the super chats. Thanks for all the love. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in live. We have another guest and a final segment that we're going to crush in what remains of this show. Um, super excited to bring to the Bituation Room drag queen, elected L.A. city official, serving on Silver Lake Neighborhood Council since 2019, who is now running as a progressive U.S. House candidate for CA30. Please welcome maybe a girl... Hello. Maybe. Good. How are you? Great. Thank you so much uh, for having me on the show. I'm excited. Of course. Uh, You're booked and busy. Um, Maybe he's looking fabulous, obviously. I was like, I have to do my like full makeup today because I'm going to have a drag queen on the show. Actually, you want to hear what's really funny is uh, the reason I was a little bit late to the show is I was doing a... um, I was doing a, a pride event for a company that wanted me to do a, a makeup demo and talk about the history of drag. So I just did my makeup literally on my camera. My, my, uh, that's my so laptop. hard. I've never had to do that. So I apologize if it's uneven. Don't look too closely. No, 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 no. <laughs> that is so hard to do. Like you, like a phone or the, like doing it yeah. backwards on your own laptop. Yeah. Not the easiest thing. Also, it's funny. I came in just at the point when y'all were talking about uh, Stephen Crowder's gender-affirming health care. Oh, yes. Very important. You know, I I do believe in gender-affirming care. I mean, look. The, oh, God. So rich. And maybe I want to get into all that. Um, if you're just listening to the podcast, maybe it looks fabulous. Maybe his makeup is perfect and incredible. And I, I do. It's so great that you're on this show now, given its pride, given everything that's going on and given that you're running for Congress. Um, But let's just start there at the outrage, whether fake or real, around the LGBTQ plus community, around drag shows. Um, Like, where do you, I've always said, I feel like this is a last gasp of like the right, trying to grasp at straws for things to get mm-hmm. upset about. But how do you, and of course, being part of the community, how do you read it? How is it hitting the community? Does it feel as desperate from the inside as it looks from the outside? Or yeah, I just, just your thoughts on you know, the right. It, uh, it, it didn't until recently, to be honest with you. And I don't know if that's because I'm in the the bubble uh, that is known as Los Angeles, <laughs> but it didn't really feel that way until quasi recently. Um, yeah. You know, I did kind of think, oh, this is just like a, a small sort of, um, 
just a, a small group that is just being very, very loud. Uh, here's the thing. I think that there are some people who really believe what they are saying in terms of anti-LGBTQIA rhetoric. And I think that there are those who listen to those kinds of people and attach you know, latch onto that sort of moral panic right. surrounding LGBTQIA issues. And most of it is based in conspiracy. It's baseless in most regards. And 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 it's scary because everyday folks are are having to take the brunt of it uh, in LGBTQIA communities. Absolutely. And you experienced that yourself, you know, just the other week outside of a Glendale school board meeting mm -hmm. where there was a vote to recognize June as Pride Month, there was a straight brawl um, <laughs> instigated by um, like anti-LGBTQ nut jobs, right wingers and even Proud Boys. Proud Boys. I was let's just talk about the infiltration of the Proud Boys into this hate movement and like maybe just briefly what happened and then like what have you been seeing even around a bubble like los angeles because los angeles is a bubble but yet we had these instances and we've had others you know that's i think what has been really scary about it not to say that oh we're in california we deserve safety we deserve safety and acceptance and tolerance and equity everywhere but you don't expect these kinds of things in the heart of of southern california uh you know i was just talking about how we just started having anti-LGBTQIA legislation being introduced on the state level here in California. And even though some folks are saying, oh, well, you know, nothing to nothing to worry about, you know, that's mm -hmm. not going to pass. You know, AB 1314, which was a bill that would have had, um, you know, Riverside area school districts, it would require them to report to parents within three days if a student uh, comes out and identifies as transgender. And you have to think about why a student feels more comfortable coming out to officials in a school district about being transgender or gay or lesbian or bi uh, than their own parents. And oftentimes yeah. that happens because uh, LGBTQIA abuse happens within the home. And so that's why folks, that's why, that's why youth are not necessarily immediately willing to come out to their parents because they hear and they see the way that uh, many, the, the way that their parents feel about queer people. Yeah. I actually was in a similar boat when I came out um, in the early 2000s. I was nervous to come out to my parents because I had, I had kind of heard a few, you know, off kilter comments and it made me feel not very safe coming out. Mm. Uh, fortunately, I have very supportive parents now. Um, they love me to death. They are are behind me entirely. Anyways, that's besides the point. But uh, we are seeing this kind of thing in California. And we're seeing it right here in the district that I'm running in. I'm running in California's 30th Congressional District, which is a very large and diverse district. It includes West Hollywood, Hollywood, Silver Lake, Echo Park, the Hollywood Hills, Burbank, Glendale. And it goes Huge. all the way north to the L.A. Forest. Huge district. Uh, I was reached out to... Uh, by by folks that live in Glendale, uh, because they were concerned that there has been so much anti-LGBTQIA rhetoric happening in the district. Mm. I recently attended a meeting um, that was presented by Gallus, which is the Gay and Lesbian Armenian Society based out of Glendale. And somebody there had mentioned the uptick in anti-LGBTQIA rhetoric. And when I tried to dig into it a couple of months ago, there wasn't really a whole lot of information. Most of the outlets that were reporting on it were either specifically LGBTQIA outlets or sort of, you know, right. minor news outlets, but it, it kind of blew up within the past month. And I ended up having a meeting with several parents 
that are living in Glendale who have children in the school district. Now, these parents are, you know, some of them are queer. Some of them have queer kids. Some of them are just allies who want to see LGBTQIA inclusion in, in Glendale, in LA County, in California and beyond. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really bizarre about this whole thing is that I, I'm not really sure why Glendale has specifically been targeted by these anti-LGBTQIA far-right groups, such as the Proud Boys, such as Gays Against Groomers, because the Glendale School District is completely within the bounds of, of California state law, which requires LGBTQIA education. They're not going above or beyond or below what is required by the states. But right. for some reason, this district is specifically being targeted. And the only thing that the school board was voting on a few weeks ago was to acknowledge June as Pride Month. This is about as mild as you can get because it's already recognized on a city, county, state, and federal level. That's what I, right. And yet folks are still out there and there are Proud Boys instigating I what I'm assuming are like, you know, a couple of random radicalized parents who've watched too much Fox News and mm-hmm. now they're, you know, I mean, maybe it was like a wake up call that had just how real and how serious some of the like anti-gay, you know, hate groups are. Um, but, but it was scary because, you know, we had uh, we ended up we showed up a few hours early because we knew we knew that these opposition groups were showing up and we wanted to make sure to be able to get into the meeting to leave public comments. You can't just flood a public meeting with, you know, alt-right hate groups who many of them don't even live in the district or have kids in the district or any relation to the district. Mm-hmm. And while we were in there, we got noticed that the meeting we had to we had to go in recess and nobody was allowed to leave the building. We were on lockdown because of violence happening out front that was instigated by the Proud Boys and anti-LGBTQIA groups. We had to be escorted out of the back of the building. It, it, it's just so out there and bizarre to me. Yes. And and we've seen also, I believe it was um, outside the Wee Spa where, um, a, you know, Proud Boys were protesting and had been multiple times um, because supposedly, supposedly there was a trans client um, and, you know, just an entire, like, whether or not that was true, like, it doesn't matter. Obviously, it is their right. And the, I think the spy even said, like, we have a number of transgender clients. We welcome them, blah, blah, blah. So there have been these, like, weird little instances. Again, L.A., you think is potentially progressive yeah. and votes blue mostly, but it is a massive city. And there are, you know, hey, uh, hate groups and radicalized parents or, yeah. you know, randos as well. I mean, um, I, th- I have a lot to ask a lot of different like directions we could take this, but I do want to talk about you as, you know, as someone who's involved in politics, as someone who is on, you know, the, the city, um, LA city official and, and the neighborhood council, like what if, what is your, what is your role now? And why do you want to up it? Why do you, why are you running for Congress? Um, yeah. Tell me about like, maybe just your political origin. And then I want to know about your drag origin. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll keep it kind of brief. And actually, my my political origin and my drag origin are a little intertwined. But uh, I, I started doing drag in 2015. And I started getting, I, 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 let me back up and say, I've always had an interest in uh, political and social um, causes in, in civics. I've always wanted to be involved in one way or another. Uh, when I started doing drag in 2015, things seemed relatively calm in the land. And then all of a sudden Trump is elected late 2016, early 2017. And we just see this weird, just sort of explosion of, of, uh, you know, right wing, really awful rhetoric against 
particular groups within the U.S., you know, whether yeah. they be people of color, queer people, immigrants, you know, it's very much the othering of people. And it really inspired me to, you know, to get more involved. And so I started doing a number of um, political performances where I would, uh, you know, satirize some of the villains that were in the Trump administration, such as Kellyanne Conway, Betsy DeVos, Melania. And a big part of the reason that I did this was not just for entertainment purposes, but for educational purposes, because I started to realize that not everybody knew who these figures were. And they're they're proactively making our lives worse, you know, due to their rhetoric and passing that on to their following. And so was that well received? Drag is a little bit like stand up, you know, and I'm a stand up comic. And so like, you know, sometimes people want to go see a drag show and just like, they don't want to think about the real world. They don't want to think about what's going on. But also it is a huge opportunity to like skewer, you know, what's going on and skewer those figures, those women you're talking about. It was extremely well received because I did it in sort of, again, a satirical and comedic way where I'm roasting these people, but you don't even realize in the process, you're learning what's happening, you know, in, within our government at that point in time. So I started to become known as a, a political queen and it got me thinking, well, you know, why can't I actually be in politics? Why can't somebody like me be in politics, especially when my community is on the receiving end of so much political and social hate. And so mm. I decided for local office uh, right here in my neighborhood, Silver Lake. And I ran as my open, authentic, queer ass self. And and they elected me. And you know what? They didn't elect me because I'm a queer person. They didn't elect me because I'm a drag queen or because I'm a trans binary person. They liked me because of the ideas that I wanted to bring to the table to my neighborhood, my city, and beyond. And I think that is something to really, really remember is that queer people are still regular people with with um, ideas and, and things that are also related to the rest of the world outside of LGBTQIA issues. You know, right. healthcare, healthcare, housing, education, uh, not specifically LGBTQIA issues, but very intersectional. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And and I want to, like, you know, Adam Schiff is currently the congressperson for CA30. Yeah. Massive, uh, massive name. Huge, huge national recognition, of course. Huge. My mom loves him. I'm very much trying to steer her toward Katie <laughs> Porter, toward Barbara Lee, and away from Adam Schiff, who get, takes yeah. corporate money. Um, but how do you see doing things different like how are you like where do you stand in terms of like you know democratic politics um your issues and like sort of a progressive vision for the future thank you for asking me that question because uh you know i i do i've had to in the past differentiate myself from the incumbents you know i this is my third time running for congress i ran in 2020 where i came in third place i ran in 2022 where i came in second place out of nine people made it to the general election Got got almost 30% of the vote, despite being outspent over 500 to 1 by Adam Schiff, who again is a you know, darling of the Democratic Party. Uh, but getting so far on so little really showed me that people actually, you know, they don't vote based off of who's the most popular or who has the most money. They, both, they vote based off of a value system and, and somebody's platform. And I'm not just out here screaming into the void saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. I'm actually doing it right here in my community. I'm re- doing it right here in my neighborhood council. I've always said I want to lead with a bottom-up approach. You know, we mm. hear about this trickle-down effect, which is a myth, but the bottom-up effect is real. I want, ev- I want to see every community 
in this nation thrive. And the only way we can do that is with a bottom-up approach. And so I have had to differentiate myself from Schiff, and I've had a lot of uncomfortable conversations. You know, I'm glad that I, I'm not running against him this year because it is extremely difficult running against somebody who has a campaign war chest, uh, and I, I don't use that pun lightly, uh, of over $15 million. And yeah. um, it has been difficult. But, you know, the reasons that I decided to run against him, you know, folks, a lot of times, uh, folks, folks mostly know Schiff because he was involved in the impeachment process in the January 6th committee. Prior to that, the Mueller reports. Uh, those are sort of the ways that he has risen up within politics, national politics here in the U.S., mm-hmm. What a lot of folks don't realize is, you know, your voting record matters. I will say this as a politician. The only thing that matters is your voting record. I stand by every vote that I have done in my local capacity. I look at Schiff's voting record and I can't stand by it. You know, folks don't realize that he was not only not only voted for, but authored uh, a huge number of pieces of legislation that that increased incarceration in the state of California, specifically amongst juveniles. Mm. That is crazy. That is disgusting to me. Uh, He has voted for every single war issue since he has been in office in the early 2000s. He voted for the Patriot Act, the war in Afghanistan, the Iraq war. You know, his votes led to the creation of ICE, which has been devastating here in this district and across the U.S. He voted for the Saudi invasion of Yemen. And then he takes all of this money from weapons manufacturers and defense contractors. And should we be surprised that he's voting in their interests? You know, he's a corporate Democrat. And I think that folks don't like to think of their heroes as being corporate shills. But unfortunately, a huge part of the Democratic Party is committed to corporatism rather than the voice of the people. And I've always been committed to running for the people. I reject all sort of corporate influence, corporate PAC money. That's not what I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for the neighbors like me who are struggling to afford to pay rent, health care, education, et cetera. You mm-hmm. know, we're, we need economic equity. Yeah. Mm, I love it. I think, look, I mean, that's what's messed up about Democrats and leading Democrats is there there is a false idea that, well, you just have to take this awful money uh, in order to beat the Republican. And especially here in California, we know that's BS. We know that's not yeah. true. We have, um, you know, this is the state that went to Bernie Sanders in the general, I mean, in the primary election in 2020. Yeah. So let's remember who we are and what we can actually accomplish. I mean, I think it's great that you're going after this seat too. And I think it's incredible that you're already, you know, this is the kind of community building and community work that, you know, all of the squad members had been involved in from, you know, from whether it's Jamal Bowman as a principal to, you know, AOC, you know, to to even here locally in LA, you know, people who are now thankfully changing city council from Hugo Soto Martinez to Unisys Hernandez to, you know, uh, Nithya Raman, all starting as grassroots organizers. So, I mean, it's like you're building with your voters directly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that we are, you know, it's so funny. I actually had to, um, I had to call out the LA Times a couple of months ago because they put out this article saying, here's all the politicians who are running uh, to replace Adam Schiff. And they mentioned a state assembly member, a state senator, a school board member, a local mayor. They left me out, even though I am a, a local, a locally elected official who has, it's my third time running. And I came in second place last year, losing yeah. only to the incumbent who is now not seeking reelection. So it's very clear to me that they, uh, 
don't want to acknowledge that uh, we actually have a really amazing chance of winning this election and representing Los Angeles and Washington as, as you know, with progressive representation, and not then, representation. I mean, let's not talk about how much that would trigger and freak out Congress as it's currently con uh, comprised of, but also I love the idea of you, and I hate this because you would never... Like, I'd, I mean, you would have to glam it up because she needs it. But like doing sort of a Marjorie, your Marjorie Green drag, um, which I feel like is like denigrating drag. Like, I feel like you can't do that because the entire art is would be debased by <laughs> imitating her. But um, anyway, I I think this is excellent. I I'm so happy that you stopped by. I'm so happy you're here. And I want to know if you can stay with me for one final segment. Yeah, Maybe. absolutely. Absolutely. It'll be super quick because we always have a, f a new final fun segment on this show. Um, it changes every single time. We shake things up a bit. So this week we learned actually that there was a study of MDMA um, with the like known as the party drug ecstasy, whatnot. Right. Um, which is basically just a massive increase of serotonin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you can read all Michael Pollan, How to Change Your Mind, um, and, and watch the documentary on Netflix. Basically, okay, so there was a study of MDMA. What are the effects of it? What does it do? And the people conducting the study received feedback from one of the people who they were, you know, who was participating in the clinical trial and who got, who, who like got a little bit of money, which is apparently why he did it. And he said, this has changed my life. Google me and you'll know why. So they Google him. His name is Brendan, and I'm forgetting his last name. It's some Brendan dude. Brendan, who actually was leading a white nationalist group in the Midwest called Identity Europa. He was like the head of that chapter. And in 2017 was at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. The guy is a massive white supremacist Nazi, right? Does the study and says he's now no longer racist. He believes that it's all about, quote, love. You're going to have to believe me. I don't have the article, but I this I this is what happened. He says now he sees the error of his ways. First of all, maybe just initial reactions to that. Initial reaction is if there's a drug that you can take to make you anti-racist, please, racist, <laughs> take it. Take it. That's my initial reaction. <laughs> You're like, I want the silver bullet maybe exists. <laughs> um, but so I want to know. Uh, if we were to administer other kinds of psychedelics, other kinds of, uh, you know, recreational drugs, if you will, that are not legal necessarily in a lot of states, who would we administer them to and what would we administer? This is Change Their Minds. Change Their Minds. Here we go. I have this is a graphic put together by Paige. If you're listening, it's a beautiful and incredible graphic. Uh, it's beautiful. There are a number of uh, right wing figureheads and then our president, Joe Biden, in the middle there. We've got Donald Trump. We've got Ted Cruz. We've got Joe Biden. I said we've got Ginny and Clarence because they go hand in hand. And we've got Ron De Sanctimonious Meatball Ron over there. And our drugs of choice, maybe. And maybe we'll, this will lead to a few, you know, some drug stories. Doesn't have to. I can tell you right off the bat what I've taken. We've got shrooms, psilocybin. We've got ayahuasca, whatever is in ayahuasca. Don't I don't know. Uh, we've got marijuana, so I guess some THC there. Uh, we've got acid. What's LSD? 
Um, and we have, what's this one? This is the, this is the MDMA and we've got MDMA. So acid here, MDMA on the far right. Who would you give what to maybe? Oh, that's the question. Okay. Oh, <laughs> this is, okay. this is okay. Uh-huh. Keep going. You go. Oh, wow. Okay. What's the, uh, what's the drug underneath Ron DeSantis? Those that pills. is MDMA. That's the love drug. That's our love drug. Okay. All right. I would give that to Ted Cruz. Okay. I would keep I would keep the shrooms under Donald Trump. I would love to see him trip. Um Wow, it's like the universe is all one and we're all connected. Oh, this is actually really hard. This this little I can't believe I buried my um, ex-wife on my golf course. I'm a piece of shit. I'm gonna dig her up right now. Goes and gets a shovel. Ivana, where are you? You know, I think I actually would want to I, I, I would want to give the marijuana actually to Ron DeSantis. Mm. I feel like it would just sort of quiet him up and put him to sleep. <laughs> I, I just yeah, a heavy, a heavy indica. Yeah. And then the love drug, I would probably give to um, uh, our Supreme Court Justice and Jenny. Um, I feel like they need, uh, I think they need to love people a little bit more and, and let us let us love each other. I know, but, but truly, then they do think, it maybe. They would, they, would, they would have sex and that'd be cool. Oh, yeah. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> you know, props to them. They're, let them do what they want to do, but let us do what we want to do. Actually, I would just love to see a combination of all of these given to everybody. Yeah, exactly. Just like, yeah, a bunch of a massive concoction and then, you know, forever sleep. Um, it them, like <laughs> actually just have them reach in like a grab bag and then just see what the results are like. Yeah, exactly. That's what uh, that's what their orgies do look like. In fact, I here's my thought. OK, I've got to start with the most obvious. Joe Biden gets marijuana because he clearly maybe he's been high once. But he, it didn't really have an effect. I think he needs to get blazed. I he want twenty twenty three weed. <laughs> he what? He needs twenty twenty three weed, not he, uh, yes. you know, weed from the sixties. No, exactly. He needs twenty twenty three weed. He needs to get high. He needs to like forget how to breathe and stuff. And then no, he needs to reach that euphoria, have some fun, laugh a lot, and be like, "This is a wonderful drug. Let's decriminalize it nationally." Hello. So that's number one. Joe Biden absolutely has needs to get high. Trump. No doubt in my mind, who needs the most major personality reversal? He needs the hardest reset. He's got to go with the ayahuasca. Like, mm -hmm. this fool needs to puke out his entire life and like boyhood trauma. Yep. You know, then, then yep. we'll see. I mean, maybe something worse is in its place, but I feel like I just need, he needs to expel. <sighs> He's already yep. puking every single day all over us so just puke 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 you know how we get them to do this is again by um decriminalizing drugs and um you know legalizing drugs and ending the war on drugs indeed Hello. indeed and Hello. If, yeah or just raiding the mar-a-lago buffet and uh slipping something in um okay so that leaves okay i've got oh, <laughs> ted cruz Ted Cruz, I think, needs acid. I think Ted Cruz. Now, here's the thing. I've never done acid, but I've done shrooms and I've done MDMA. Loved them. Great, th great things. But Ted Cruz, I think, needs to just kind of get out of his head a little bit more and have like loosen up. I don't think he's as hateful. I just think he is so tightly wound. Yeah. Um, 
he mm-hmm. needs I think he needs acid. I think he needs to see some colors trip out for a while. Ginny and Clarence need to shroom for sure because I think shrooms put you in touch with nature, life. They put you in touch with like the interconnectedness of things. You know, maybe Clarence Thomas will have some thoughts around like how he can rule around like EPA stuff. You know, he's in control. It 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 just like it's yes. too big of it's too big of a drug to me. I think it's like shrooms is like you see. Like you feel, you see all the things, all the things. I'm not being specific, but yeah. And then, (laughs) you know, the party drug. Look, first of all, I think DeSantis has definitely done MDMA. He's done ecstasy at some point because 17-year-olds do E and he likes to hang out with them. So give him a little purer of the form. Have him dance. Have him go to a little bit of a rave. Maybe he'll make out with like a guy. You never, you know what I mean? Like have it be sexy, like something... The, again, gets him out of his own head and his own space, and he can like totally, let down his hair. Totally. We're being way too kind, and obviously, this is a waste of drugs. I want to just this is all of this is a waste of drugs, but within that game, this is how I vote. <laughs> I could see, I could see a net gain from this little game. Um, <laughs> okay. I absolutely could. I absolutely could. And again, let people do what they want. Like. People should not be in prison and drugs. I, my campaign, we are so pro weed. We're in California. We're in Los Angeles. Like, come on, come on. Yeah, uh, I know, honestly. And, and in terms of the decriminalizing and legalizing and, and my thought is even regulating, you know, in terms of like, let's not put, you know, throw all these drugs to the market to be marketed to us. That's not healthy either. You know, mm-hmm. it's important to have certain regulations on who can buy and when they can buy and how much. I absolutely. And we can trace. I mean, the fentanyl crisis is not made up by right wingers. They just love to talk about it. It's real. Totally. And it if we had. Real. Yeah. And if we had quality control, if there were actual regulations, we could make sure people weren't overdosing. And that there wasn't yeah. fent in shit that there shouldn't be fent in. Can I share a quick little story about that with Please. you, actually? Um, you know, sort of one of one of my big aha moments uh, for the need to decriminalize and regulate the drug market was actually a, a few years ago, a good friend of mine who she drafted with, um, it was her birthday, and she was with three friends, and they had gone out for the evening, and then they went back to one of their apartments, and... Um, my friend, who was their birthday, went to sleep, um, but the other three that were there did uh, cocaine that they did not know was laced with fentanyl. Oh my, my friend God. woke up. My friend woke up the next morning, and all three of her friends were dead. And oh my God! The only reason we see fentanyl being introduced into the market is because it's a black market, because it's illegal, and because you know folks are going to try to make more money by you know cutting things with with yes. you know things like fentanyl and if you were able to go to the store down the street just like you can here in Los Angeles to purchase weed in the same way that you could purchase other drugs you're not going to be purchasing things that are cut with fentanyl Absolutely. so the way that we reduce fentanyl deaths is by legalizing and regulating rather than than um abstinence abstinence does not work with anything, anything. and the way we win the war on drugs right yeah Hey, Hello. you can win it by just refusing to fight it and saying, actually, this is better for our citizens and people in general. So totally. even, even the fact that I can go down the street and buy weed and I'm a political candidate, I'm an elected politician, but there are people in prison right now 
for that very same thing is that's unjust. That's unjust. Absolutely. And we have to address that. Absolutely. Maybe a girl, um, where can people find you and follow your work, uh, to say nothing of your incredible looks? Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram at maybe a girl, M-A-E-B-E, uh, on Twitter, maybe a girl. Uh, also, we are a grassroots campaign. We need grassroots donations. You can uh, donate on our campaign website, which is maybe a girl for congress.org. Thank you so much, maybe. Uh, please come back. You're wonderful. Thank you for your like, time. Love to come back. All right. Take very good care. And thank you all for being here and for all of your super chats and all of your support. Woo. It's been a show. Uh, thank you so much. Sparrows artistry for becoming a new member. Um, uh, reading a couple of the chats here. Uh, half dead shepherd said, hell yeah. Double dose of Franny on a Tuesday. Hope everyone caught the damage report today. Yeah, it was fun. It was a good show. Uh, did a couple of repeat stories, but that's okay. You guys are here. Um, Yilva, thank you so much for your super chat, says, I'm multitasking watching the Norwegian soccer team winning over Cyprus while watching TBR. We're currently leading 3-0. Oh, congratulations. Um, that wasn't a Norwegian accent. I just I just said that. Congratulations. Descender Dragon, hey, Franny, great job on the damage report earlier. I'm so excited to see Sam. He's one of my crushes. Don't tell my wife or him. <laughs> nice. Much love. Um, Terrence Trumbo, uh, wait, who's the oligarch? Yeah, I know it. The head of Burisma, I guess, was the oligarch. Very unclear. Um, Mars Falcon reminding us that Trump appointed Christopher Ray. Mm. And Gary Cooper on YouTube. Hunter got jobs based on who his dad is. So have tens of millions of other people. Indeed. If only we all had rich poppies. Um, RFK Jr. Nicholas Anderson. RFK Jr. has zero of that Kennedy charisma. Yeah, no, he is missing it. And then Rachel Atwood, we stand Naomi. Speaking of Naomi Klein, agreed. I'm trying to get Naomi back on the show. Camperman 5000, Sam turned Crowder into chowder. And Lily, Lily Arlara, thank you for your super chat. Sam, you got to get Fran on to do a crypto fash anti-vax Greta if you ever do another Ken, Ken, and Ken. As like Ken, Ken, and Karen with Emma. Mm, okay, okay. So you cover me out a little roll over there. Uh, Lady Bad Crumble says, maybe all day over on Twitch. And Billy Gus says, drugs have won the war on drugs. We need to negotiate a surrender. So well put. Uh, and with that, you guys, uh, thank you so much for everyone who supported this show, for all of the patrons. Of course, you get a special little shout out. And if you're a big tipper, TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. Thank you with the fart song. I'm glad maybe isn't here because this is so unbecoming. Um, thank you so much to all of you, all the super chatters. Also, all the patrons at $10 or more. Audra Williams, welcome. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Frantifa. Riled Up Riley just up their subscription, uh, their patron. Thank you so much for upping your pledge. Also, just shouting out all the patrons of the Orchada Armada, the OGs, Bonnie Verhoens, Laramie, Leith, always sending love to Leith, D. Munsinger, Liliana Hansen, Timothy Brennan, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you to the Twitch subs over Holy Beer Dragon gifting a sub to Homespicious. Holy Beer Dragon gifting another sub to John F. McDropout. And Sparrow's Artistry cheering 100 bits, thank you so much for your support. We are a show that is supported by you and put together by me, Paige Omek, the producer, Maximilian Inhoff, Andy Vasoyan, our editor. We stream every Tuesday and Friday, bonus show on Friday. 
uh, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Follow us on all the things at Franny Fio on TikTok and Instagram, at Bituation Pod on Twitter. Uh, and remember, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Later.